0: Thanks, guys. Um, hey, my name's Kent Woodrow. I'm the associate pastor here at Holy Cross, if you've not met me. Um, and we just want to say a special welcome to you uh, for those of you who are visiting for the first time. Also, we don't usually have risers on the stage, but it's part of sharing space with, uh, with Grace Christian School, which is very kind to open this up to us. Hey, uh, if you are maybe hearing the pastor search report for the first time this morning... Uh, and you weren't at the info meeting, just know all that information is coming your way, okay? Uh, it's going to be coming in emails and all that. We just want to make sure you have all the information you need. So if there's any point where you're like, I, I've i got a question or I don't know this, that, or the other thing, please reach out. We want to we make sure you have what you need to make an informed decision on our uh, pastor search. Hey, journey's not done. In some ways, it's just getting started. We've been in this process for a long time. Um and a lot of people have been really faithful to serve Jesus and you all have been faithful to pray don't stop you know we've got a candidate but he's not he's not here yet right and and that's your decision so let's be praying because we want the lord's will done don't we we don't want to just run off and go do our own thing we are king Jesus' church. And so we need the king to speak. And so would you continue to be praying with us through this whole process? All right. Hey, back in July when I was planning out this series on the uh, king and his kingdom, it was a four, it's a four-sermon series, uh, I had no idea that I'd be preaching this particular sermon on the Sunday that the PSC uh, announced a candidate because uh, guess what our topic is? The king and his welcome, right? It's just like God. These random coincidences fit so perfectly in his eternal plan. Because y'all, I'm not preaching the sermon because I'm I'm trying to say, when they get here in a week and a half, roll out the welcome carpet. I mean, yes, we're going to do that. We're Holy Cross. That's what we do. Um, It's not less than that, but it's a whole lot more. It's about how the king's people extend the king's welcome to anyone he brings through our doors, right? And we're going to do that today using a passage in Romans 15 verses 1 through 7. So if you'll go ahead and turn there. Just know that this is the last sermon in a four-sermon series where we've been talking about the king and his kingdom with the intent that we have the harder conversations about all the change that's coming up. Like it's It's meant to help us prepare. So we've asked the question, how should we think about a newly pastor? How should we think about a building? Will this change our mission? And then today, as we ask the question, or as we deal with the king and his welcome, we're asking the question, how do we deal with church growth, right? How are we going to deal with all the new faces that will come? Because that's happening too. Statistically, just so you all know, when, when churches get their own building, you often see a spike in attendance and a bunch of uh, new folks attending that church. And if you've been to the new sanctuary out on Frontier Drive, it's a big space. It's meant to fit 350 people in there, you know? So what does that mean? It means new people, new faces. It means our church family growing, God willing, right? And maybe you like meeting new people. And maybe you don't like meeting new people. So we got to talk about that, right? We got to talk about that. Because the look of our church is going to change. The people who are, we are worshiping with every Sunday, that'll change. Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared for that? But more than anything, this whole series has been meant, in the face of all the change that is coming, this whole series has been meant to ground us in what doesn't change. And that is our King. Our King and His kingdom purpose. That has not changed for Holy Cross. It will not change for Holy Cross, no matter what comes. That is what grounds us. And so, would you stand as together we read Romans 15, verses 1 through 7? We're jumping into the middle of a long letter. So it might feel a little disorienting at first. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself. But just as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. For whatever is written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together with one voice, you might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Friends, it's the true word of the living God. Guess what? He gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we just ask that you would move that the song that we just heard before the sermon is so fitting. We need you. We need you. And so, wherever we're coming from today, would you meet us where we're at? In Jesus, would you do your work? Because you are so faithful to do that. So use your word to shape us, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen. grab, Grab a seat. All right, so if we're, if we're asking the question, how do we deal with church growth? How, how do we think about and deal as a church body with new faces and different folks who are coming, who our king is going to bring our way? Uh, I want to do this through the framework of welcome and using this passage to do that, okay? And there are three things that we're going to look through or think about. The burden of welcome, the model of welcome, the gift of welcome. Here's a question. Why are we starting with burden? Let's be honest, right? There are things that make welcome difficult, doesn't it? What is it? I mean, the number one thing is differences. Differences. We, we're we just a different set of people, and differences tend to drive us apart. Well, where do we see differences in this passage? Uh, it starts out actually in very first verse, verse one. Uh, and here Paul has been spending this long letter, that Paul was a... a, a early Christian missionary, he wrote this long letter to two different groups of people within the broader church, especially the church in Rome, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. Hey, you all think we have differences? You think there's a lot to keep our people, but especially like the church divided and, and in different camps? It was way worse in Paul's day. Let me just run you very quickly through what it looked like to have Jews and gentiles these these two big different camps in the church the jews were people who were like paul they grew up like good church folks they were like the old timers right they'd been working really hard to to do all the right things and to be good and honestly they kind of had a hard time with anybody who wasn't a church person and then you had the gentiles the gentiles were like the new folks who had never even heard of church they kind of had came out of rough pasts. Uh, They knew next to nothing about being a good church person. And uh, they brought all their non-church baggage with them, right? Um, And now all these formerly non-churched people were flocking to God's people in droves. You want to know why? Because they heard the good news that the king is issuing pardons. And they wanted in on that. The king wanted relationships. He was making people from all tribes and tongues and nations his own. And then there was tension. Tension between the Jews, tension between the Gentiles, between the old timers and the new folks. A lot of tension. And, and 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 where did this tension most obviously play out? Well, it's at the very place that should have been the source of unity for them. The dinner table. Paul's just finished addressing this in, in chapter 14. See, Jews, the church people, they had a really incredibly fastidious diet. The, uh, they, they were... There were a bunch of things that made them feel clean if they eat it and not clean if they did eat it, right? Which might sound a little ridiculous to you, but if you stop and think about it, we got a ton of food rules in our culture and day, right? So let me just throw out a few buzzwords to you, not commenting on them, but maybe you'll get my point. Uh, Organic, high fructose corn syrup, high and low calorie foods, trans fats, you name it, right? Rightly or wrongly. Can make you feel clean or right if you eat it wrong or dirty if you don't okay and the jews looked down on the gentiles for being morally unhealthy in their food choices and were offended that the gentiles didn't adopt the the food choices of the jews well the gentiles by the same token uh, they didn't give a rip about the jews food laws and and customs these are just scruples but given their pasts the gentiles had hang-ups with things like food sacrifice to idols, which, again, that's hard for us to get. And I say this with all compassion, but it might be some, like um, uh, somebody who has wrestled with bulimia or binge eating being offered an Oreo. You know? Something that's triggering. Okay? And so, Gentiles look down on Jews for being so stuck up about what they ate, but at the same time were really hurt that the Jews would, some Jews would just eat meat, sacrifice titles, not think about it, and be like, and invite them to participate in it. Hey, have a pack of Oreos. You know, it was triggering. It was hard. So what's the point? People were taking, God's people, were taking very substantive cultural issues. They were moralizing them and then turning them into issues that threatened the unity of the church, Right? So far from being like this welcoming community to each other, let alone to the outsider out there, the king's people were identifying more with their culture, their party, their scruples, their preferences, their differences than they were with the king. And so in this letter, Paul points Jews and Gentiles back to the very one who made them all family in the first place, right? He points them back to the king. All right, Holy Cross has a supply. Who's your Jew and Gentile? Who's your other? Who's your different? And are you prepared to see that different person enter our sanctuary and sit in the chair beside you, join your small group, become part of the king's family? How do you handle the differences that you already have with people who are different from you in this church family? So you see, you you begin to feel the burden, the burden of welcome. And if not, then you probably will in the coming months, which is why we're talking about it now, okay? Um, Here's the question. Why bother? Why bear the burden in the first place, right? (laughs) Can't we just do what some churches out there do? Just bar the doors. Don't let anybody else come in, you know? Can't we uh, just only admit people who share our feathers and our team colors? Why can't we just be a clique? Why can't we just limit our small groups to the people that we like, people who are like us? Here's why. Because of the king's commands, right? Right? The king's commands. There are uh, two verbs in the imperative mood, If the imperative mood for you grammarians out there or non-grammarians, that, that's the command, right? Uh, and you find the first one in verse two, let us, let's each please his neighbor, all right? So instead of pleasing ourselves, if you were to translate this very woodenly, it would say something like this. Each of us, the neighbor, he is to please. Get the emphasis? So let us please the neighbor. And then the second command, welcome one another in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another. All right. We'll get into more of these things in detail a little bit later in the following points. What's the point? Let's think about these two things as commands. What does that mean? It means they're not options means they're not options. This posture of welcoming, this heart that seeks to please our neighbor, look for our neighbor's well-being, isn't something that is up for negotiation. It's not something that there's wiggle room on, not something we get to do when we feel like it or with the people that we do feel like should be involved or welcomed. We don't get to pick who walks through our doors. We don't get to pick who the king includes in his family, right? Cuz the king does that. The king does that. Hey. I get it. Maybe we don't like that. Maybe we don't like the idea that I mean we have no say. Well, being a, being a Christian means choosing to submit. Choosing to submit to the king. And and we can trust our good king, right? When he commands something, it is for the good of his people. So when he commands us to be welcoming, when he commands us, each of us are to please our neighbors, he, it's for our good, but even more than that, you realize that the, our good king doesn't command anything that he himself hasn't already done. He calls us to this posture of welcome, this heart that seeks to please our neighbor. Guess why? Because that's the kind of king he is. That's the kind of heart he has, right? See, in our, in our sinful rebellion, we were as different from him as we could possibly be. We were as untouchable as we could be. And did that stop him? No. No, that didn't stop him. He, he took on the burden, right? He moved toward us with his welcome. So if we want to know what it looks like to to have this heart of welcome, this posture of welcome uh, that seeks to please our neighbors, we look to the king. He is our model for welcome. So we're going to move to that second point. The model of welcome. Where do we see this? Well, we'll see it in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. So when Paul, as he's he's dealing with these rival factions, the Jews and the Gentiles in the church, and he's trying to bring home, we welcome each other. what, What does he do? He points them to Jesus. He points to Jesus, the king's example, who didn't just try to please himself, he he denied himself. So what does it mean to deny yourself, right? It means Jesus had all the rights, privileges, prerogatives of not just a ruler, but the ruler, the king, the maker. We got a lot of artisans and uh, crafty people, crafty in in the good way, crafty people in the church, right? You guys like to make stuff, okay? So imagine you're making something. Let's say in this example, it's a cake, because a lot of us, even if we're really bad, we could still try to make a cake, right? Uh, You make a cake with ingredients you bought. That means you and you alone get to decide what to do with that cake, right? Doesn't matter what the little ones running around your feet might say. Doesn't matter what your spouse might say, or the neighbors. You and you, that cake exists by and for your pleasure, right? It's kind of a silly example, but you get the point. You made it, it's yours, you decide what to do with it. You want to know what Jesus' cake was? Everything. Everything in existence, including you and me. And that means that it was his right to be pleased by everything including you and me because all things exist by and for his pleasure. He is the king. What did he do? He gave it up. He gave up his rights, his prerogatives, his, his right to be pleased. He gave that up for us and our well-being and our welcome, right? Right? That's just what our king does. And so when our king commands us to not please ourselves but to please our neighbor, he's commanding us to be like him. Because that's what he does. We have a problem with that, don't we? It's hard. Want to know why? Because by nature, we are unwelcoming. By nature, we don't deny ourselves. Self is our universe, right? Here's why. Go back to the very beginning. In the beginning, we were created to be unself-conscious. We were created to be focused toward God and toward others. Think about it. That's why God gives you eyes right here and not like some tentacle that comes out and you can like do selfies the whole time, right? Like we're supposed to be outward focused, right? We didn't like that. We human beings wanted to do things our way. We wanted to be our own rulers. And so we sought to sit on God's throne, and in doing so, we broke everything, including ourselves and including the world around us. And so now we human beings are naturally selfish, self-centered, and inward-focused, right? We spend the bulk of our life thinking about me and what makes me happy and what fits me best and what my well-being how, how this speaks to my well-being and if we're feeling generous, then we think about the well-being of people that I like. And people like me, right? People that I care about. Hey, maybe you think you're like, good night, Kent's had a really dour view of humanity. I would argue it's the view of the Bible and just look at the world. We're in the state we're in because you have 8 billion people who all want to be God. All these selves trying to sit on the throne, right? That's not how we're made to be. Far from denying ourselves, we actually deny others what isn't ours in the first place to get what we don't deserve. And the king says, that's not how things are done in his family, right? Because as our model of denying himself, the king himself denied himself what was rightfully his to give us what we don't deserve. That's why in verse 1, Paul will say, We owe it. That word obligation there, it's debt language. We owe it to him. We owe it to the king to seek our neighbor's well-being and live that outward-focused life. Okay? So, here's a question. Just to examine our hearts. How much of your experience in this church family is about you trying to get others on your page, right? How much is about us trying to get people to accommodate us and our preferences? And how much are we actually denying ourselves and seeking to please others and care for the well-being of your sibling in Christ, right? Modeling our Jesus. Hey, friends, do you realize that to truly offer the king's welcome to those who, who knows what kind of background they're coming from, right? We've got to be ready to deny our own comforts and maybe even the preferences that we've moralized, like the Jews and Gentiles in Paul's day, to stay on mission to help others encounter Jesus, right? That's hard. Are we willing to deny ourselves that way as our king did Deny our rights, our preferences, our prerogatives, our privileges for the other. See, our king not only models denying himself, he also models bearing reproach. And we see this in Paul's quote uh, here where he says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. That's a quote from Psalm uh, 69. So what does that mean? Uh, it, the psalm describes someone who is so single-minded in their devotion to the Lord uh, and, and to his mission um, and, and Jesus, as the ultimate fulfillment of that, he was so completely given over to the Father's will, he was willing to undergo mockery and shame and derision to, to fulfill his Father's mission. And what was that mission? He says it in Luke uh, nineteen ten, right? I've come to seek and to save the lost. came to seek and to save the lost, to bring God's good news of welcome to people, to the church folk, Didn't want anything to do with. The traitors, the prostitutes, the scheming opportunists, the outsider, the weak, the diseased, the lapsed churchgoer, the foreigner. These aren't people who are just in process, right? These are people like, man, you start the process. And like we read in Luke 5, that Ben read earlier, Jesus bore the reproach, right? For being willing to hang out with people that everybody else was like, mm, I'm not touching them with a 10-foot pole. So what does that mean for us? How, how do we, as a church, be ready to bear reproach for Jesus? Honestly, y'all, I can't answer that question. We're gonna have to figure that out. We're gonna have to figure that out as a church family, but, but are you willing to bear reproach? Are you willing to do it? It might look like being that church that causes people to raise eyebrows in the community. I'm like, oh yeah, heard of that about them. That's where those people go, right? Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with that, y'all? Uh, in the valley, reputation kind of matters, right? Like people you know, people it goes down for generations, all that sort of stuff. Are you willing to sacrifice that to associate with people that maybe cause other people to raise eyebrows? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to open your small groups, your homes, to people who might scandalize your neighbors, so that you can show them the king's welcome, like like Boaz did to Ruth, that the foreigner, the widow, the one no one else would touch with a ten foot pole? See, bearing reproach is costly, and though it is, and it's probably, I think, one of the hardest parts of denying ourselves. So we got that burden. <laughs> we got the burden of welcome. Uh, and it's, it's modeled by our king who commands us to welcome, right? But y'all, if all we had was the model of welcome, we'd be a wreck, right? You and me. Because we can't live up to that. That model is too high. So you want some good news? This kind of welcome, the kind of welcome that Jesus models, it's also a gift, The gift of welcome. All right, how is it a gift? Well, verses five and six, the the very king who commands and models this welcome himself is the giver of welcome, which means he empowers welcome. Um, All right, so let's, let's look first at who the king is. May the God of endurance and encouragement. All right, what does that mean? It means he's not only the God who gives these things, this is the kind of God he is. So let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Encouragement, what does that mean? It means the stamina to bear up under tough circumstances, right? With tough people. Stamina to bear up under tough circumstances with tough people. And y'all, don't we need that kind of endurance if we're going to put up with up uh, with welcome and engaging people who are so very different from us? Where do you get that kind of endurance? It's from our God. It's from our God. And when it comes to endurance, the Lord not only gives it, he gets it. So when you come before him and you pray, Father, give me the endurance to once again welcome this challenging person into my life. He not only grants that request, but he also says, child, I know what that's like he has had a long track record of putting up with challenging people, hasn't he? Here's at least one person. He has that long track record of endurance, so he gets it. He's also not just the God of encouragement, he's also the God of, or the God of endurance, he's also the God of encouragement, right? He's the one who stands beside his people to strengthen them and to, and, and to, to give them the words and what they need to get through that tough circumstance. Hey friends, look, I think for a lot of us, we, th- we, we just kind of picture God on the sidelines sort of yelling at us, angry, right? You all are letting me down. You're not, you're not living up to be the welcoming community that I made you to be. Get it together, right? That's not our Lord. That's not our God. Instead, he's the, he's the paracletos. He, he's the one who comes and stands next to us. And he says, "Look, I know it's hard right now to be welcoming. I know it's really hard for you to reach out to that person right now. I know it scares you. I'm here. I'm here. So let's go meet that person and watch me work my kingdom magic. Just be faithful. I'm here. That's all that matters." He's the God who gives endurance and he gives us encouragement. He's also the God who gives the very harmony we're looking for. May they God of encouragement? Grant you, give you. Hey, as anyone who, (laughs) I'm going to create division in the church today. Uh, As anyone knows who's ever sung Enter Sandman or the good old song, maybe this will unite more of us, or Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, in a packed stadium, right? A common love gives us an affinity with very different people, doesn't it? Very different people. And it allows you to join in one voice to glorify the object of your affection, doesn't it? So if you and I, whatever our differences are gonna be united, we're gonna be united by a love for something far bigger than our differences. And that something is a someone. It's our king, our king, Jesus. So if you are struggling right now with welcome, then maybe spend some time singing, I'm not gonna say intersand, man. Spend some time with God's people, focusing on the giver of welcome. See what that does for our church unity, right? All right, so there's a giver in this passage and then let's wrap it up. There's also a receiver in this this passage. Guess what? That receiver's not you. See, verse seven, another way to more roughly translate welcome is to say, to receive for one's self. Friends, do you realize that Jesus received us for himself? Jesus received us for himself. Hey, if you're not a Christian today, whether you are a long-time churchgoer or this is new for you, if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear that our King Jesus, the God of the universe, the maker of all things, the great and glorious King himself, he stands ready to receive you, to welcome you. See, he's not waiting for you to clean up your act to do that. He's never been that kind of God. He receives the needy And there's nobody in this room, no matter how well we clean up, there's nobody in this room who isn't needy. In fact, all you need to be received by him is to know that you're needy and to trust him to meet that need. So don't wait. Turn to the king. While he he is extending you his welcome and is ready to receive you, turn to the king. Hey, if you are a Christian today, here's my encouragement for us as we leave. Remember your welcome. Remember how you have been received, right? Hey, uh, I hope you've never had this experience, but maybe you've had, and I, I have it. Have you ever shown up to an event and suddenly you realize, well, I not only didn't bring a gift, I'm also way underdressed for this thing, and I'm in a room full of people I don't know. That's a miserable experience if that's ever been you, right? All right. Now imagine how everything changes when the host sees how uncomfortable you are, they catch your eye from across the room, and they come right up to you, and they put their arm around you and say, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're here. And they take you, and they introduce you to everybody else in that room, and they don't Leave your side all night long. They're with you. Friends, do you realize that's what our King Jesus did for us? If you're a Christian today, you came in with nothing. And the King received you for himself. He welcomed you. And he connected you to his family. And he gave you a place to belong. And he did that for you for free. Honestly, y'all, it's, it's the folks who know what it's like to have been welcomed this way, who can then turn around and give this impossible welcome, right? Who can, who, people who know what it's like to have been received can then turn around and receive. Holy Cross, will you extend that to others? No matter how different they are from you. Will you extend that to others? Extend to them the same welcome which our King welcomed us with. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. You're so good. And we thank you for bringing in Rebels the unlikely, the least of these. There's no one in this room who has anything they can offer. And you welcomed us. Father, would you make us agents of your welcome in your kingdom that people in Stanton and Augusta and the surrounding areas might know our king and might know his welcome. Use us for that purpose, Lord. We are your church here at Holy Cross. Use us for your welcome and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.